Palm Sunday, uh, a week before we celebrate our resurrected Christ. And what's great about living in the church age and being in this particular time is we get to celebrate the resurrected Christ every day, every day. So I want to make mention of a couple of things before we go into our scripture reading this morning. Uh, there will be a visitor's luncheon uh, next, or two Sundays from now, two weeks from today. And if you want to know more about uh, GCC, if you've been visiting with us, we'd love for you to sign up for that and be a part of that. And uh, we'll feed you and just kind of talk about the church and uh, what we do here at Grace, the things that, uh, that you can be involved in. And we, we just absolutely love that you're visiting and understand that process and respect that process. But we want to kind of give you a little bit better understanding of who we are. So if you'd like to sign up for that, the sign-up sheet's out in the foyer. Uh, you should be able to find that as you leave uh, today. If you have any questions about that, you can ask me. Or you can ask this gentleman right up front. He's the young-looking fellow here in a blue jacket. His name's Jim Franklin. And uh, <clears throat> look, I'm doing the best I can, Jim. And he's got, a, he's got a sweater on. I think it's got Auburn on it. But you can overlook that, all right? We'd love to have you. And that's the 24th of this month. I also want to make mention of May Day, which is May the 1st, and uh, there are five Sundays in May, and uh, so the first uh, Sunday in May, that will be May Day at Clay City Park, uh, Family Matters is putting this together, and there are sign-up sheets out in the, the foyer uh, for everyone uh, to sign up. They need a count of who's going to be there, because they'll be serving hamburgers and hot dogs, but it's a great opportunity to fellowship with other people uh, here in the body, and I encourage you to be a part of that. Will we play games and all that kind of stuff? Archery. I'll be the first to sign up for that, David. Archery. All right. You going to be there, Jim? We'll do archery together. <laughs> all right. Well, we look forward to that, so I encourage you to sign up for that as we anticipate you know, fellowship is something we didn't get to do a whole lot of the past couple of years. So I encourage you to be a part of that day. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew, the 21st chapter. And we want to read this morning verses 1 through verse 11. If you'd stand as we read about the triumphal entry. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, which is Zechariah. Okay, and this comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You know what's so awesome about prophecy and, and the fulfillment of that? And obviously we're waiting for the return of our Lord, but this is some 500 years before this event takes place. That, just, that gives me chills thinking about, you know, Scripture just proves Scripture, right? So this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle 
and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, when we think about this event that took place, Lord, we just can't help but celebrate because your word is true. And Zechariah prophesied that specific event. And if you study it, it's to the specific day and time. You're an amazing, amazing God. Thank you so much for revealing yourself to man. Thank you so much for coming to earth, for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much that you did not remain in the grave, but you rose again, victorious over death. And that gives us hope. And it's not a hope so or maybe so, but it's a certainty. We look forward, Lord, to your return. I pray this morning as we sing to you that you would be honored and you would be glorified. And as your word is opened, that our hearts and our minds would be open to your spirit's leading in our lives. And all this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Oh, is, it, is it all working out, working back there now? Okay, good. Uh, let's just worship the Lord because, you know, you have these kind of things right there. I don't think, that the, I don't think the early church had to worry about things like this, right? So I, let's just don't worry about that. You know, hey, we're going to praise the Lord. He's still the King of kings. And he's still the Lord of lords. He's the same God as he always was, and we don't have to have all that. But I think we got it back now. That's not, that's not, that's the wrong, uh, that is the wrong uh, me to shout. Looking 410, 410, April 10. Y'all have a seat. <laughs> we will, yeah, bring up, bring up 410, and then we'll be, uh, but uh, I'll tell you what. Let's just let's just go ahead and, and the choir is going to and we'll just do, we'll just do this a choir number, okay? Since they're not that familiar with the song, so this this one's called "Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery," and I was reading about the mystery in the Word just this last week, and uh, the mystery that God has revealed. There we go. The mystery that God has revealed is the fact that you know God had done everything for for Israel. Everything you know, Israel was the children of God, but now He has in, He has included all of us. The Gentiles, and that's the great mystery that God has come and, and has died for, for all of us now. And so what a wondrous mystery there is. And so this song right here, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Uh, and, and it's one that we've only done once or twice, but you'll catch on. Let's all stand. Now we can go. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Number three, lights, please. <laughs> 
sing. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. And aren't we thankful today that he came down to ransom us? Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man, Christ the great and sure Oh, 
righteousness, we will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. Sing hallelujah. you listen to the words of the choir. <laughs> we sing about the, the fact that the, the lamb is the only one who's worthy. I'm glad he's the only one who's worthy. We would be looking for everybody, but God is worthy. The lamb is worthy. I want you to listen to the word, the words as the choir sings. for 
As we leave here today, I hope that our hearts of worship is satisfying to the Lord, that we really realize how worthy the Lamb is, all that He has done, all that our Lord Jesus Christ has done. I ask um, uh, David Howard to come and sing this morning, and uh, he was practicing today a beautiful, beautiful song. So, David, if you come up and, uh, and let's worship together by listening to what David has to, to sing. Yes. 
David, um, why well, enjoy your ministry of music? I enjoy all the ministry of music, but I really enjoy when you sing. It is an encouragement to me. I appreciate it very much, and as you can tell by the response of the people, they really appreciate it. You know, it's not about the person, it's about the willingness to serve, and that's something that... Um, should be appreciated by all of us who are uh, here this morning. And aren't you glad it was David that was singing and not that earlier? <laughs> In 1985, there was a song that came out entitled, What About Love? It was sung by the group Heart. There, um, aren't, there are some in here that weren't around in 1985. In fact, this year, uh, I celebrate in May 40 years removed from a wonderful high school education. I don't remember a whole lot about that education, but I'm sure it was wonderful. But there's a line in the song, and it's repeated over and over again because it's the chorus. And it goes this way. What about love? Don't you want someone 
to care about you. Isn't that true? We want someone to care about us. We want someone to love us. We enjoy having the attention of others, a genuine attention, genuine love. And nowhere should that be seen more than in the church. How many sermons over the years have you heard in relationship to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? And then attached to that, consider how often that you personally have considered, is there hatred in my heart toward one of my brothers or sisters in Christ? And I think that through the application that's done today, just like I had to, you will be forced to consider that. Because I mentioned last week, hate is somewhat of an ambiguous term, hard to pin down, but there are some illustrations I'm going to give today through a book that was written by Dr. Dave Anderson on Maximum Joy, where he kind of puts some shoe leather to this issue of hate so that you're better able to understand, is that even something that's going on in my life? Um, I want us to be in 1 John this morning, obviously, and we're going to look in verses 9 through 11. That's the text that we must consider today. It's interesting how the Lord works things out because we're having the Lord's Supper today, which I think is very appropriate for what we discuss today. That if the Lord was to lead by His Holy Spirit to convince you and convict you that there's hatred in your heart toward another brother or sister, that you would make that right before the Lord. And we know that we can because remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We tend, when we think about this subject, and we have to consider it because it's here, of love and hate, I think there's a propensity to think only in terms of those that are immediately around us. Those that we get along with. Those that we don't have to question, is there something in my heart toward that person this is what the scripture says, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Notice the pronoun his. If he hates his brother, that makes him a what? A brother. So, I believe that he's writing to Christians and talking about the issue of hating your brother. And the pronoun just kind of gives it away from what I can see. He says the one who loves his brother abides in the light. And we talked about that in chapter 1, that abiding in the light, dwelling in the light had to do with fellowship with the Lord. So this person is claiming fellowship with the Lord, the one who loves his brother, abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Uh, let's pray together and ask the Lord for help. <laughs> Lord, we want your help today to be able to understand what 
John is writing here to those that he calls beloved. I pray, Lord, that we would consider these things in order that we might grow in relationship to you, closer to you, um, that it wouldn't just be a claim that we have, but that, Lord, the, there would be a genuine closeness uh, to you, that we would consider that area of fellowship. And so I pray that your spirit would teach us in the name of Christ. Amen. So there's not one, but two views of this passage. You're probably going to get sick and tired of hearing this, but it's all through the book. And I think it's fair to give you both views, and, and one should when teaching through First John, because whether we realize it or not, or you realize it or not, it's one of the most controversial books in the New Testament in terms of interpretation. And they have great men who have been stalwart studiers of the Word who are on both sides. And I believe it's important for you as an individual believer to study that on your own. And the language gets harder. You think this is hard? Wait till we get to chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 is one of those chapters that is very, very difficult when you consider the context of what John is writing. So there are two views of this particular passage, this scenario that we have in front of us. There's the test of relationship view, which when looking at these verses, they say one proves they belong to the Lord Jesus by loving their brother. Is it good to love your brother? Yeah, it is. John MacArthur, uh, who holds this view, says those who profess to be Christians but hate their brother demonstrate they are not born again. That's his viewpoint. And Ray Steadman, along with him, and there are others. I mean, the list is pretty long. Uh, John says he who hates his brother is not a Christian. I have to question that. Is that what John is saying? Um, because that's a pretty short quote, but I think it's a good question to consider. All right? So that's the test of relationship view around these verses. And then you have the test of fellowship view is, is the one that I hold to myself personally. And there are some reputable uh, theologians who hold that same view. I only list a couple of them here. Dr. Thomas Constable, who uh, served on the Dow Seminary staff for over 45 years uh, in teaching the Bible. Uh, he has a breakdown. Of, there's a ton. If you just look up his name, he has a ton of commentary through the scriptures that I think you would enjoy reading. Um, but the test of fellowship view says this, one who's hating his brother is not in fellowship with the Lord. So we have to ask the question, just from 1 John, is fellowship with the Lord something that's addressed in 1 John? Seems to be, is it not? Right from the very beginning. And it seems to be attached to what? Joy. Okay? So this issue of fellowship is attached to joy. And who does not want to experience joy in the Christian life? Of course, we all do. But we need to consider in our own lives, this is an individual consideration, am I in fellowship with the Lord? Um, that's something that we must consider. Well, Dr. Constable, in writing about this particular passage, says hatred of other Christians is a sign that one is not walking in close fellowship with the Lord. So you can see the difference between the two views. And then J. Dwight Pentecost says that fellowship with God depends on love for brothers in Christ. And, of course, he takes that argument through the entire book of 1 John. 
that these things are, if these things are, are going on, you're in fellowship with the Lord. If these things are not going on, you're not in fellowship with the Lord. So those are two different viewpoints, obviously. But um, I just want to make that clear as we go through. And I will continue to do so because I'm not going to at any point say I've arrived. And I don't think any of us need to do that. I think we need to be humble to say, Lord, please, Spirit, teach me. Now, here's the question that comes from that. How do you have such reputable people on two extreme ends? That's a good question. That's what I'll say to that. I I do think that word studies make a difference. Uh, And I'm not saying that other guys don't do that. I think word studies, context, pronoun usage, all those things, the way he addresses his audience are very, very important. I don't know how much that means to you, but it means a lot to me before I stand up here on a Sunday morning. I want us to notice the difference in verses 9 through 11 between love and hate. And there is a vast difference. The difference is large. Because we have here in verses 9 and 11 a description of one who hates his brother. Um, The definition of the word hate in the original language means to have ill will towards someone. It means to detest someone. It means to resent someone. So the question becomes, has that ever happened in our lives? Have we ever had ill will toward another brother or sister in Christ? So we have, right, that's just fair that we have to consider that. It's fair that we would consider, have we resented another brother or sister in Christ? Have we had detest for them. It's interesting that John uses the present tense in verse 9 when he says the one who says he is uh, in the light and yet hates his brother, hates theirs present tense. And it indicates that this was a choice that that person made, a volitional choice to hate. Um, there are a lot of things in this world that we hate, Right? Um, we hate sin. We hate abortion, don't we? We hate that abortion is a part of our culture. We hate now, I hope we do, that they're introducing our young children at a very young age to this issue of identity and sexuality in inappropriate ways. How many of you hate that? You have a disdain for that, and rightly so. Those are easy answers. The hard one is, do I have hatred in my heart for a brother or sister in Christ? Um, that's, that's a difficult question. Notice some of the things that he says about this one who hates his brother. Obviously, he's not close to the Lord. His claim is that he is. He's claiming to be in close proximity to Christ, but he's not. Um, Have you ever claimed to be in close proximity to the Lord, but you're not? That ever happened? Have you ever lied about that to someone? When someone says, how is your walk with the Lord? These are hard questions. I get it, okay? But I think it's important that we consider it. I don't know, honestly, as I was thinking back this last week, if I've ever had anyone stand behind a pulpit and ask those questions. I'm just being honest with you. So, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, if you're me, you're not. But if you're me, what do you do? Do you just skip over it because it's hard 
and you're not going to like to hear it? Or do you just deal with it? You just deal with it. See? Because the Bible tells us that those who teach incur what? A stricter judgment. And that's always bothered me. Because I'm going to be in that line. Not close to the Lord is in the darkness. This is the condition of that person. This is speaking about the spiritual condition of that person. And the idea is the moral condition of that person. This person's in the darkness. This brother's in the darkness. That's where he is. That's his state. That's where he's residing. Look, he's walking in the darkness. That's the idea of residing. That's where he is. That's where he's living. Believers, do we have any examples of in the Bible of believers living in darkness at any point in their life? We do. Do we not? We do. So there are several examples. I believe Demas is one of those who belong to the Lord. But remember what Paul said about him? Did it say that he forsook the Lord? Didn't say that. It said he forsook who? Paul. But the world had taken him captive. World ever taken you captive? Let's just ask that. In the last two years, did the world ever take you captive? Is that a good question? Good question. So, John uses harsh language about this brother. He's walking in the darkness. And then notice in verse 11, he's lacking direction. And when you're in the darkness, you lack what? Direction. That's what it says. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because, look at this, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Does the world at times blind the eyes of believers? Sure does. You know, we, I've mentioned this before. We look at the life of David. He was blind for a period of time. Was he not? He was. Nathan had to come on the scene. Solomon was blinded for a period of time in his life. At the end of his life. So darkness can overtake. In fact, the one that I just mentioned, Solomon, the wisest man, right, wrote, hatred stirs up strife. (laughs) It's possible that as a believer, or I'll put it this way, is it possible as a believer that I can hate another brother or sister in Christ? So let's try to answer that through this section in um, uh, Dr. Anderson's book on Maximum Joy. And in that book, he, he identifies the difference between relationship and fellowship. And in this part, in this section, he answers the question, what does hatred look like? Right? Since it's kind of hard to narrow down, this is, may help us. Cold indifference. That's what he says. This is what, peop- this is what we do to people who hurt us. That ever happened? In your life? See, that's the question we have to continue to pose. Um, We can give them the cold shoulder. Have you ever had that happen where you knew another believer was giving you the cold shoulder? (laughs) Nobody's raising their hand, right? Class participation. 
We have no intention of giving them the time of day until they come to us and seek an apology for what they've done to hurt us. So you can't stand up here and give your story, so I'll give mine. There have been times where I've been waiting for an apology. You ever had that happen, anybody else, besides me? I'm not going to talk to that person until they apologize to me. Now, I might not have this vindictive attitude, but it's like, yeah, I'm just not going to talk to them. You know, I had to do this last week. You wouldn't have liked it either. I had to take a look at my relationships, Christian relationships in this body and outside of this body, meaning other believers, and ask myself the question about probably eight to ten individuals. Lord, is there indifference there? Mm. Cold indifference. Well, we know that shouldn't be a part of the church. It's not where we should be. Vengeance. The first part of this was written by Dr. Anderson. The second part by Thaddeus C. (laughs) That's me. Uh, Vengeance says this. He writes, Dr. Anderson writes, Oh, we have lots of ways to do this. Oftentimes this manifests itself in Christians as passive aggressive behavior. She hurt me, so I won't do this or that. He hurt me, so I won't do this or that. They did this to me, so I am and fill in the blank. So I wrote this down. This part's mine. This is one that can be sneaky aggressive in a marriage relationship. So you got to start at home. My belief is you start at home. You know, what are the relationships like with husband, wife, children, all that kind of thing? Grandchildren. Um, Also, I wrote, this can show up in the church when there has been hurt. And the the response is one of looking for a way or ways to get back at the person. And I wanted to describe this. This is not always like just this, you know, full bore, I'm getting them back. It can be pretty passive, but still pretty potent. In fact, I wrote this because I believe it's true. It can consume us. See, I've been a part of, in the ministry for 32 years, a part of just observing church splits and then observing how Christians behave. And I'm putting myself in that, partic- that, that as well. It can get rough. Anybody agree with that? It can get ugly. We can say things that we never thought we would say. You ever done that in your marriage? You know, and you're, you've said it and as a husband, and you're like, i got to get those words back. I'll be wearing sunglasses on Sunday. It can consume us, potentially. Well, you having fun yet? All right. Unforgiving spirit. Y'all want to just skip that one? Dr. Anderson writes, as someone in your past rejected you in such a way that you still hurt when you think about it. So that's real life stuff, right? 
That's real life stuff. That, that, that's in our backyard, in our living room, however you want to, you know, paint that. He says, do you become critical of people in your past the minute their names are mentioned? Have you made a pastime out of scheming about how you could get back at them or embarrass them publicly? Oh, Christians don't do that. If you can say yes, he says, to any of these questions, then you wrestle with an unforgiving spirit. What does the Bible tell us about forgiveness? A whole lot. You know, the Lord instructed Peter on how that looked, 70 times 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. In the context of grieving the spirit as we walk, because he's talking about the walk of the believer and that the believer can grieve the spirit because if he couldn't, he wouldn't say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But he says it. What grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Sin. We'll get to that list in just a few moments. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and then he kind of gives you that benchmark for how that forgiveness looks. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Pretty high standard, wouldn't you say? Well, how has God in Christ forgiven us as believers? In full. <laughs> I just mentioned this because sometimes the Spirit puts things in my mind as I'm up here. But have you ever convinced yourself that you've forgiven someone, but in the reality, as weeks, days, weeks go on, you're like, man, I hadn't forgiven that person. That ever happened to you? Happened to me. I'm human. And you know, I have a sin nature, and I am going to continue to sin. That's why when we come to a moment like this today where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, man, we just go hoorah. Thank you, Lord, that you died for my sins, past, present, and future. <laughs> Nailed to the cross. Love that song. Nailed to the cross, and I what? Bear it no more. Well, then there's, I think this is the last one. Yeah. Bitterness. The Bitterness. He writes this. Usually beneath an unforgiving spirit is a root of bitterness. You know, and if something sits there longer and longer in us, what does it do? And it just festers, right? And, and, and pretty soon, we're progressing as the list does in this passage in Ephesians 4. Notice, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he says, Let all bitterness... And this is progressive in language. These are harsher and harsher as you get to the end, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Who is you? Believers. I have not reached perfection. Have you? Unfortunately, I think there's a movement today. There, there are kind of two extremes. There's grace, and so I'm just going to sin, live like I want to live. 
And then there's this legalism. That's what it is. Well, this person doesn't love that person like they should, so they may not be saved. What? Is my salvation based on that? Is the security of the believer based on one's love for another brother or sister in Christ? No. At the moment of salvation, I was sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. And you know what? From that point on, I'm living the Christian life. And as I'm living the Christian life, things are being chopped up in my own life. I'm being molded by the Lord. And he's saying, hey, Thad, you've got an issue here. You need to deal with it. Yeah, but Lord, Thad, you've got an issue here. And guess what? He just keeps saying it. Why? Because I'm human and I sin. So he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Well, that's enough bad news stuff, isn't it? Y'all ready for a good pill? That was a rough pill there. Well, he talks about love also in this section. Whew, that's a good part. Right? We can wipe our hands clean and think about love in relationship to our brother. Notice what it says in verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. He's in fellowship, close proximity to his Lord, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So he's in fellowship with the Lord, and he's not trapped or drawn into sin. That's that phrase, cause of stumbling. He's not trapped. It's, a, it's an interesting picture. It's a picture of bait. Like a, 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 you trap a fish with what? Bait. Okay. Well, it, there are traps that are set out by the enemy in our lives. Did you know that? They're traps. We have to be careful not to stumble and fall into one of those. And so he says here that the one who's in the light, there's no cause for stumbling in him. Let me ask you a question. What does love look like? We talked about what hate looks like. What does love look like? Well, just a few things to consider. Number one... It should be like his. So when we think about love, we have the perfect picture. I don't know that we, we, we need to start with looking at other people. We need to start with looking at the person who is Christ. How did Christ demonstrate his love? Well, here in Ephesians chapter 5, in that same context, as we just read about, Paul writes... Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He loved you. Obviously, Paul knew he loved him. But he gave himself up for us. Who is us? The church. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So, how did Christ love? Well, he loved sacrificially. We're going to consider that today. As we consider and reconsider the cross, he gave himself up for us. He sacrificed for us. The disciples personally experienced that in their lives, as we saw in John 13 last week. So the mandate for the believer in Ephesians 5 is walk in love. This is to be our wardrobe, so to speak. We're to walk in love just as Christ loved us, right? That's how we're to walk. We're to walk sacrificially 
and we're to walk and demonstrate love unconditionally. And this is what that means practically. You're not sitting next to that person and going, I'm going to start loving them when? But I'm just going to love them. No matter what goes on, I'm going to love them. You think about it. I mean, Christ demonstrated that. That love. Peter denied him how many times? Three. Three times. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died for the sins of who? All. Died for all. Even for the one that denied him named Peter. So, love is unconditional and it's sacrificial. It should be demonstrated like that in our lives. That is hard to do. So, our love should look like his. Secondly, our love should serve others. It should serve others. I love the passage in Galatians chapter 5. Because it's true that Paul, as he's writing to these believers, he says, You were called to freedom. It's, it's grace, right? But as Paul wrote in Romans, we don't abuse the grace, the favor in our lives. We don't use grace as an opportunity or as a license to sin. In fact, Paul said, may it never be. That's not the way it should be in our lives. He says, you were called to freedom. And guys, there's nothing like being free as a believer. I'm not under the law I'm under the spirit of the living God who is going to lead me into what? The Bible says all the truth. And so notice what Paul says. He says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what do we have here? The difference between self and serving others. It's self versus others. Is the focus of my attention as a believer going to be on self or is he going to be on others? <laughs> Another hard one to consider. Because a lot of times I think there's a tendency to think more about self than there is others. I had the privilege in my life as a Christian to serve under different pastors. The one who made the most difference in my life as a pastor was Brother Thomas Morris. He read all his sermons word for word. He stood behind the pulpit and read them. He pastored a Presbyterian church. I don't even think he knew if he was Calvinist or not, to be honest with you. I never even heard the word come out of his mouth. All I ever saw in Brother Morris was a desire to serve others. And do you know how great that desire was? In this town of about 28,000, he would take me, um, and I was, let's say, I would have been 20 years old, 20 years old. He would take me with him to the hospital. And you know what happened? We'd walk in that hospital and all the people there, hey, Brother Morris, hey, Brother Morris, hey, Brother Morris, hey, Brother Morris. Hey, everybody knew Brother Morris. And time and time, he would go see anybody and everybody. He served. So he was. He, he wasn't elevated like up here in his mind. He was a servant of others. And I went to see him. 
he started, he had dementia, and I went to see him, and he still had a little bit of his memory, and I remember walking into the facility where he was, I said, Brother Morris, I have no words. I can't thank you enough. But if I was probably in my late 30s when I went to see him. He was an amazing man who loved to serve the Lord. So that's the way love should look. And then this is a good one here. This is in the context of spiritual gifts. This should be our wardrobe, if you will, as well. It's in the context of spiritual gifts. You hear this a lot where? At weddings. In fact, I don't know how many weddings I've been to where I haven't heard that. They're trying to, you know, the pastor's trying to teach, and these two guys in the front of them, they're just thinking about getting married and making sure the kiss is right and all that, and he's trying to preach on love. That's what happens. But this is what Paul says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. The word brag there, these are interesting terms. I didn't put this up there for you, but... The idea of bragging is putting ourselves on display. In other words, we want people to notice us. We seek elite status from others. That's the idea of bragging. The idea of arrogance, the word arrogant means to puff up. It means to have an inflated view of yourself. So Paul says love's not that way. And what's the context? Spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, okay, in the context of serving one another. He says, love does not brag, it's not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly. You want to know what that means? Good. It means ill-mannered or rude. Ugh. So love is not ill-mannered or rude. Did you know that you can be potentially, and I, this is a question, can you be ill-mannered and rude as a believer in a worship service? I'll just let you think about it. So it does not act unbecomingly. And by the way, when you're in a worship service, you're with other believers, so there's a testimony going on. That's a whole sermon by itself, I think. It does not seek its own. It's not selfish. Love is not selfish. It's not provoked. That word there means love does not stir someone to anger. I mean, if you ever had anybody stand in front of you, you're like, man, they're wanting to get angry. They're wanting me to get angry right now. And then you get angry. That's what happens. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love doesn't fail. It never fails. A lot to consider. A lot to consider. Hatred shouldn't be mentioned among believers, but it is. Love, that's what should define us as believers. J. Dwight Pentecost wrote kind of what that looks like, what that demands. 
terms of love, he says a key word in this matter is the word commitment. <coughs> Loving the brother demands the commitment of a person to a person. In other words, what he's saying is intentionally focusing in on that person. Hey, we understand what that looks like, don't we? We, we go to gymnastics and we're intentionally focusing on our granddaughter, Right? We go to a track meet, we're intentionally focusing in our granddaughter or grandson or son or daughter. We didn't come necessarily to watch all, we're intentionally focused on them. I, don't, I have three granddaughters, and praise God, to this point I haven't had to go to, what do you call that stuff, gymnastics, ballet, all that kind of stuff, praise Jesus. I mean, I hear these awful stories from these, you know, husbands and these granddads. That I had to go sit in a gymnastics thing for eight hours yesterday. And I'm like, Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and don't ever invite me because I'm not going. Loving the brother demands the commitment of a person to a person. When one believer shows care, look at this. And concern about the total needs of a brother in Christ as a person, he is fulfilling the obligation of Scripture to love a brother. Opportunities to love our brothers and sisters in Christ are ever before us, they're always present. The question becomes are we ready? Are we in close? proximity to our Lord are we walking in fellowship with him let's pray together Lord this morning as we transition now to remembrance remembering what you did for us on the cross at Calvary I pray that, Lord, we would be honest in examining and having your Spirit examine us. We just pray this prayer today, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would examine me. See if there's any ill will there, any wickedness, any evil. Confess it for what it is. Lord, I know in 32 years of church ministry that I've been involved in, I've seen lots of hatred. I've seen more love, and I'm thankful for that, but I've seen lots of hatred. And I've seen relationships broken, and I know relationships in some cases are still broken. There's still hatred and ill will. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be honest And help us to be encouraged that as we confess our sins, as we walk with you, as you bring us, Lord, in in revealing these things to us that are sin, I want to thank you publicly that, that you forgive us. So we don't need to question that. That's something you do. What we need to look at is what we're doing. So this morning, as we enjoy together in fellowship, the remembrance of your death for us and what that accomplished. I pray that we would examine ourselves 
with the help of your spirit this morning. May you be honored uh, during this time. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I wanted to read. Um, I'm going to ask that as I'm reading, the elders and deacons who've been asked to serve would come up front. I wanted to make just a couple of comments before um, you guys can stand up, elders and deacons who've been asked to serve, and you can come up front. And as you're making your way, I wanted to make mention of, and I try to do this every time with the remembrance that the Lord gives me, but if you're a member of the body of Christ and you belong to Christ, we want you to participate with us today, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. I know the, the language in the past with some churches is closed communion. We don't have that. We want every believer participating in that today, right? So if you belong to Christ, this is your time to celebrate right along with us. Um, you do not have to be a member of grace, but you need to be a member of the body of Christ. We encourage that. But we also encourage that you and, and myself, that we be walking in fellowship with the Lord. That We've had that opportunity to kind of look at our lives and examine ourselves to see if there's any sin there that we need to confess. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so this examination piece is very, very important. It requires honesty. And remember in the context of the passage, who he's writing to. He's writing to a group of people who don't have it all together, who are abusing the love feast and what was going on there. And so it's important that we examine ourselves just as Paul encouraged these believers in Corinth uh, to do. And do you know that some of them, some had not properly examined themselves, and the Bible says that there were some that as a result were weak and some were sick and some were dead. In fact, it says a number were dead. So this is a very serious thing. I think we need to take that that way, that we are celebrating the Lord today and we want to be in right fellowship with the Lord as believers. Um, listen to what Paul writes. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, which is always an amazing phrase, considering what was coming ahead, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, guys, not only do we remember, but this is an opportunity for us to witness to those that are around us. By taking the Lord's Supper this morning, it's an opportunity to witness to those around us. I belong to Christ. I'm a Christ follower. So um, this morning, I'm going to ask that as we um, go into this time, I want to give you just a couple of minutes just to, to spend with the Lord and then uh, I'm going to have um, Brian Nichols pray for the bread for us. So let's bow together for a couple of minutes.
ask Brian Nichols if he'd pray for the bread this morning. Dear Holy Father, we do just um, want to think of my own heart, Lord, and, and how many times I've let you down. And I think of uh, just the sin of my own life, Lord. Uh, but that I don't have to pay for any of that. And that you've completely covered that through your blood, through, through, the, through the crushing of your body, Lord, on the cross, Lord. Uh, we're just overwhelmed, Lord, by what you've given us. May we ever, 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 always be aware of the gospel in our lives, Lord, and what it means to us. May it be ever-present before us. And may, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you help us to always think of that, to always be ready, Lord, uh, to give you praise and glory, because as we sang earlier, Lord, you're the only one worthy of it. So we're just grateful, grateful, grateful. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for being willing to hang on a cross for us so that we can be reconciled to the Father, to the one who formed us, to our Creator, Lord, whom we were enemies, Lord. We were, we were enemies. We were opposed to you. We were, and, and all of us, Lord, have rebelled against you. We've turned our backs on you, Lord. The Bible says we've all gone our own way. We've put ourselves as the kings of our lives, and we've decided to do what we want in our lives, Lord, not what our Creator has designed us to do. But through Christ, through your sacrifice, Lord, uh, we are reconciled, and we're so grateful for that. So just bless the, bless this time, Lord, as we, as we partake of communion together. Amen.
always been amazed by our Lord um, pausing to give thanks for what was ahead of him. And obviously, he knew that what, what would be accomplished. And so as we look back, we're thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ and um, his willingness that his body would be broken for us. Let's take together. Steve Bartlett, would you pray for the cup for us this morning, please? Lord, you know that many people in the world today are choosing a sacrificial lamb for Passover, not realizing that your lamb, Jesus the Christ, has already come. And he told us, to remember him in his last supper, the action that he would take. He shed his blood for us to keep God's promise of salvation. When we were trapped in sin and could do nothing to save ourselves, as we partake of this cup, may we remember the great sacrifice that he made. In his name, amen.
I love those hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, um, after the Lord comes for us in heaven, while the tribulation is going on on earth, there will be the Bema Seat judgment. It's not a judgment to condemnation, and we're thankful for that. There's also the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know how at weddings, you know, the bride's kind of the central focus. If you didn't know that, young man, <laughs> you plan to get married, trust me. Um, I hope this comes out right, but the central focus of that will be the Lord Jesus Christ. But we get to share in that glory. That, to me, is beyond explaining to you. I don't understand that. But I am thankful that one day I'm going to be at that marriage supper. And I hope you can say without a doubt that you'll be there as well. So as we take this cup this morning, we remember the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Let's um, have a word of prayer. Or how do we say thank you? I do believe we can through the way that we live. I pray that you would help us to live to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's what we want to do right now, church. We want to stand up um, and say thank you in song. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then over in First John, how does he redeem us? It says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world.
All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I wanted to end the service this morning um, with some information. Gene White is with the Lord.
you know, for some churches, I guess, organizations, wherever they announce that, and they say somebody died. Well, Gene was transported to the presence of the Lord on Friday afternoon. I saw her about 40 minutes before she went to be with the Lord. And um, I am so thankful to know that she's with him. And we can rejoice in that. I don't have any information about the services. They were going to meet with the funeral home this morning. Um, But once those details are made known to me, then we will pass those on to you. You know, when you get that little message on your phone that says, Thad, I want you to know that I don't type those out. My name just appears. Uh, Amanda and Shauna do that. And so I'm just thankful that we're able to give you information on a timely, in a timely manner so that you're able to make the adjustments that you need to. But you pray for Bo and Becky. Becky was really close to her mama. And um, so anyway, we celebrate that Jean White is with her Lord and Savior. What a great way to dismiss. You are dismissed.